All right, look to the person to your left and ask the question, are you normal? <laughs> look to the person to your right and say, I know you're not normal. Okay? All right, we just got that out, right? We good? Anybody normal in the room? No, nobody's normal. A very abnormal church, too, that's for sure. We're off to a great start. All right. Normal people <clears throat> run away from lions. Normal people. Normal people run away from lions as fast as they can, as far as they can. Normal people do. Normal people do not chase lions, right? Why? Well, because lions run 35 miles an hour. Lions can leap 30 feet in a single bounce. Lions' jaws are so strong, they can crush the human skull easily. Lions' teeth are so sharp that they can cut through the hide of a rhinoceros or just about any, any animal skin. Normal people run away from lions. Benaiah, however, saw something out of the corner of his eye. And it was a 500-pound lion. Benaiah sees the lion, and instead of running away from the lion, Benaiah chases the lion. Now, you've never seen a lion chaser. You've seen a lion tamer. We've all watched, you know, or we've been to the circus, Barnum and Bailey, Ringling Brothers, and we've seen some of those idiots trying to, t to tame those lions, Right? But nobody in the room has observed anybody who has ever chased a lion. And we're not really sure why, but Benaiah decided to chase a lion. And so Benaiah goes after the lion, and the lion's running away because lions run faster than men. But the lion makes one fatal mistake. The lion slips into a pit on a snowy day. The lion slips into a pit on a snowy day. And Benaiah comes right up to the edge of the pit, looks into the pit, sees the lion, hears the lion, and thank goodness, we think, he turns away to walk away. Thank God he's going to walk away from the lion pit. But he's not walking away. He's just getting some distance so he can get some momentum to get a flying start. And Benaiah leaps into the pit with this 500-pound lion. And you hear the deafening roar. You hear the battle cry. And everyone assumes within just a few minutes that the lion is going to strut out of the pit. But instead, the blood that was poured out on that snowy day was not Benaiah's blood, but it was the blood of a lion. And Benaiah pushes himself out of the pit, scars, crisscross marks on his arms and face. But Benaiah has killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, that's probably not a memory verse that any Sunday school teacher has ever assigned for a class. That's probably not a memory verse that you wonderful moms are trying to teach your kids at home Scripture and Bible verses. But I think that's a verse that every little boy should learn. 
I think that's a verse that every little boy should commit to absolute memory. I want to be a lion chaser. And I think it's a verse that every little girl ought to learn. Because she shouldn't be marrying a scaredy cat. Every little girl ought to marry a lion chaser. It's an incredible verse. It's an incredible passage of Scripture out of 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. I highly encourage you to teach this to your children. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20 says this, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. First of all, he struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. And here's our little part of the verse. He went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a a lion. Now, David is looking for a bodyguard. He is actually looking to hire the captain of the bodyguard. And so I can picture David late at night. Candles are almost burning out. The wax is all over the tables. A couple of his advisors are hanging with him and around him. And David's looking through resumes. And he sees a resume that says, I majored in security at the University of Jerusalem. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's cool. I, uh, I, I actually got a, had an internship with the palace guard. Oh, that, that, that's good. I worked for Brink's Armored Chariots. That, that's good. And then David reads this. I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. David said, hold, oh, whoa, whoa, hold up. Wake up, wake up. Who is this guy? That's Benaiah. He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Why does the Bible use the word snowy? Because the ground is unstable, slippery, packed. He killed a lion on a snowy, he goes into a pit? That, that's him. David said, that's my man. Well, there's more, David. He killed two of Moab's mightiest warriors. And by the way, David, there was a seven and a half foot Egyptian who had a spear, and all he had was a club. And so he takes the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and he kills the Egyptian with his own spear. And David said, I've heard enough. I don't even need to check references. That's my man. That's my guy. And David hired him to be the captain of the bodyguard. He was so successful as the captain that he also succeeded David after David's death with his dad, Solomon, and he became the captain of the bodyguard and eventually the captain of the whole entire army in Solomon's army. This past week, um, we had a rat that was right out front underneath the carport, and it was the funniest thing in the whole world because this rat would not move. This rat would not leave. And I don't know what it was eating, but it found some little food out there. And um, a bunch of the ladies, you know, were freaking and jumping and squealing and screaming. And, you know, I, I'm kind of scared to death this rat too. And, and so I said, well, let's just call the exterminator. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, leader, just, you know, we'll just delegate this, you know, call the exterminator. And then the, the women reminded, I don't know where the men were, but the women reminded me that ladies' Bible study was letting out in about 15 minutes. I thought, oh, no, get me a broom. If Benaiah can kill a lion, I can, I can do this. 
And so I sent that rat to rat hell. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I was shaking like a girl the whole time. I, and I just, I started laughing. I thought, how did he kill a lion? How did he do that? How did he go? I killed a four-inch rat. Oh, my gosh. And so here's a story. Here's a story about faith. But in our alignment series, what if we all had Benaiah faith? Now, we're not all going to chase lions. We're not going to kill lions. But, but haven't your greatest moments in life come from your scariest moments? Haven't those rate of returns that have been exponential just been phenomenal because of the opportunities that were in front of you? Your greatest opportunities have come from some of your scariest moments. I'm 14 years old, playing basketball on the high school team, having the time of my life, and, and all of a sudden God comes into my life and my family. And all of a sudden, I lose all four of the other starters. I'm one of them. The other four guys, they wanted nothing to do with me because I'm a Christian. At age 17, I was working for UPS. I had a great job with UPS at 17, loading those boxes at night. And I figured out I could make five times the amount of money if I started my own painting and roofing company. My parents and grandparents, they all thought I was crazy to quit UPS. I quit UPS, and I made five times the amount of money in the next seven or eight years working through college and high school and college and graduate school. So, some of your scariest moments have come, but they have also brought incredible return. I, I remember when I was 23 and Danita and I got married, I was scared to death to get married. Danita was even more frightened because of me, right? <laughs> At 29, she tells me she's pregnant, which is going to be with Erica. I threw up the next 11 days in a row. <laughs> True story. Scared to death. To, to be a parent. You, you, you've had those experiences. And so the, the question would be is, are we going to be scaredy cats, lion chasers? Are we going to be faithful and, and walk forward in faith? Or will we let fear paralyze our lives? Now, there's 2,000 references to fear in, the, in, the, uh, in psychiatric references. Psychiatrists have identified 2,000 fears. However, you're only born with two. You're only born with the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. How in the world did we adopt and adapt 1,998 more fears? You're only born with two, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So again, the question would be is, what, what do we do and what are we going to do with our lives? So I want to encourage you today to live in faith. I'm not going to take away your fears, but I'm going to encourage you to take great steps of faith in spite of your fears. But why? Why would you want to risk? Why would you want to have to have breakthroughs? Why would you want to be scared and frightened and yet still have great things happen in your life? I want to give you three quick reasons. They're in your bulletin if you want to write these down. But here's number one. Here's what faith does. Why should you have a robust faith. Number one, faith enables me to understand what God is doing. I mean, talk about an edge. Talk about having an, an unfair advantage over everybody else around you. 
God will give you understanding. Faith enables me to understand what, what in the world, why is this happening? What's going on right now? Faith gives you the ability. Number two, faith enables you to see what others cannot see. Those of you in the business world, you have an unfair advantage if you're a Christian. You have an absolute unfair advantage because faith enables you to see what others cannot see. And thirdly, faith enables you to do. It enables you to do what others cannot do. Now, I love that because God's all for you and wants to just put his hand upon your life. And as you're working for him, he's going to also be pushing things through you. J. Oswald Sanders said this, kind of a cute little, cool little quote. He says, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. Well, Joy kicked off this morning with, uh, just a few minutes ago, with communion with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let's just look at that verse one more time. It says, faith is confident. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Sometimes we try to get a definition of faith out of this chapter. It's a description of faith. And this description of faith is not your description. It's just examples God wants you to have the same examples of faith that are in this entire chapter, but they're going to be different. The content's going to be different. It's going to be your story. It's going to be what God's doing in your life. So faith is, is confidence in what, God, what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Verse 2 says this. It says, this is what the ancients were commended for. You are writing holy history. And the holy history that you're writing about your life is about your faith. It's not blind faith. It's not like whimsical faith. It's not like out on a limb, silly, stupid, crazy kind of faith. It's faith based on conviction. It's faith based on assurance. It's faith based on the evidence of what God's already done. And so what we get the advantage of is we get to see what others have done, and we go, I'm going I'm to have greater faith. Because of what they've done, I'm going to have greater faith. So this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what it was invisible. In other words, he's saying if there's a creation, there's a creator. If I took my watch, and I took my watch off, and I took it apart, I don't know how many pieces are in my watch, maybe a hundred. I have a great watch. So let's take, I take this watch apart, and I get a Ziploc bag. I've got a hundred parts in that Ziploc bag, and I start shaking that Ziploc bag. I shake it, I shake it, I shake it. And then I tell you, all of a sudden, this, this watch, just, I just shook it long enough for enough billion years, enough times, and my watch just, it worked perfectly. You'd go, are you crazy? We knew you weren't normal, but you wouldn't believe that. Why? Because if there's a watch, there's a watchmaker, right? If there's a creation, there's a creator. And that's what he's saying. By faith, we just understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God spoke, and the world came into existence. Then he starts listing people. And the first one is about, well, let's go to it. It's about Abel. Now, here's a question. Why did God accept Abel's offering, and why did God not accept Cain's offering? By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Why? You ever ask yourself that question? I remember in Bible college asking a couple of professors that question. I didn't get a good answer. 
The answer is in the text, but wait just a minute. He says, by faith, Abel, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Why, why did God say, Abel, your offering's awesome. Cain, your offering, it reeks. Why? So people said, well, you know, it's because you know, Abel had you know, flocks, and God likes flocks, and, and Cain like, like did you know, carrots and lettuce. That's not the answer. I've missed it. I've missed it all these years. It, it, the answer is in the text. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 says, Adam made love to his wife, Eve. I, I, I got that. I knew what that meant. And she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. So Cain was the first, first son. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Look at the next verse, verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Okay, everything's good so far, right? Everything makes sense so far? So far, so good. Verse 3. Here's the answer. Why did God accept Abel's offering? Why did God not accept Cain's offering? Because Cain's offering was in the course of time. When I got around to it, it wasn't really a priority. It wasn't first in my life. I brought some of the old lettuce. I brought some of the old carrots. I brought some of the gunk and junk that just kind of nobody, the animals wouldn't even eat it. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But look what Abel did. Next verse. But Abel also brought an offering. But he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn. The firstborn. He took what was first. It was the first of the animals. It was the first lamb. It was the first sheep. Tithing, whether you agree with it or not, begins in Genesis chapter 4. This is where it all begins. And what he's saying is, is you give your best. You give your first. You give what's most valuable. And then God will put his hand upon you. And what he's saying is, is Abel still speaks because Abel gave the first goat, the first lamb, the first sheep that came out. And we don't know there's going to be any more. But he, by faith, put his trust in God. Cain, on the other hand, in the course of time, when he, you know, he fed his family, when he did everything else he was supposed to do, in the course of time. Now, I find that fascinating. So we learn from this. We learn from this. Second illustration is Enoch. Look at the next verse. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. Enoch never died. God just came down, plucked Enoch up out of the world, and he never died. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. So that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now here's what Enoch did. This is before the flood. When the world was as corrupt as it has ever been. You think things are bad today? This is candy land today compared to the days before the flood. I'm not saying things are good. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this is candy land today before the flood. And here was a man who was surrounded in cesspools of wickedness, who was loyal and faithful and pure and holy and righteous, who lived by incredible faith. 
And that says to me, I learned from Abel's offering. That says to me, I'm going to learn from Enoch's life. Now, it doesn't matter how corrupt your work environment is. It doesn't matter how corrupt your family may be, and some of you come from very corrupt families. It doesn't matter how corrupt your neighborhood may be, and some of you got some really crazy neighbors. The point is, God can lift you up, and you can live a holy, righteous life by his power. If Enoch could do it without the presence of the Holy Spirit, imagine what you and I can do today with the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody should have said amen with that. I, that, that was just, just somebody slap your mama and jump a pew on that because that, that, you see the difference today? And so our faith grows and grows when we look at these people. Look at Abel. Look at Enoch. Now, I just want to say this. As a believer, if you're not doing what's right morally and ethically, you can and he will lift you up, and he will strengthen your faith, and he will change you, and he will transform you. The last example here is Noah. Uh, no, Noah is just a hero to me. He had a little trouble with alcohol, got in a little trouble with that, but I love this story. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith, he commended the world, he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping in faith. Now, here's what Noah did. Folks, Noah was told by God to build an ark because it was going to rain. You know what Noah asked? What's rain? That's right. He had never seen rain. It had never rained. And for 120 years, this man builds an ark by faith because God said it's going to rain. And he had never seen rain in his entire life. And so we learn from these people. We learn from these examples. If they had this kind of faith... Why can't I? Why can't you? And so am I going to be a scaredy cat? Or am I going to be a lion chaser? Am I going to live my life in fear? Or am I going to live my life in faith? Well, I I, I realize that this is what he wants us to do. Look at verse 6. Hebrews 11, 6. This is where God wants to get to you. See, without faith... Without faith in him, without trusting him, without walking in him, without letting him lead, without letting him initiate, without, without faith, it, 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 it's, it doesn't say it's improbable. It, it's, it, it's impossible. It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And we're going to wrap this up at the end, and I'm going to talk about how God wants to to do that in in your life. I I think all of us that are believers in the room want to have greater faith, right? Every believer in the room want to have greater faith. I think we do. So, So what keeps us from having greater faith? What are some of those barriers and things that trip us up? Well, I think there's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of them. I think one of those is we, we, we're limited by time and space. And so when she gets cancer, we don't understand. It hurts our faith. When, when she has a miscarriage, we, we don't understand. My, my sister-in-law had seven, seven miscarriages before she gave birth to a couple of beautiful, wonderful kids. We, we, we don't understand. When, when he loses a, a good job, 
we, we, don't, we don't understand. When, when the heathen in the company got the promotion and all the believers, we, 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 don't, we don't understand. But you see, our vision's like through a peephole. You know how you have the peephole at home and you stick your head in that peephole and you can see, you know, it's your neighbor wanting sugar and you just ignore them or whatever you do. But you look, you look through the peephole, just kidding. You look through the peephole and you see some, God sees 360. And I've come to understand that I am so limited by time and space. And so I got to lay that down. My faith will grow when I realize I look through the peephole at life. God, God sees 360. A second reason I think that we struggle um, with our faith is I, I really think that we think people who are courageous don't get afraid. I, I think most of us believe, well, you know what? I'd, I'd have more, more faith if I just wasn't afraid. I think Benaiah was rattled about the daggone lion in the pit. I, I don't think Benaiah was strutting up there. I don't think Benaiah was cocky about it. I think he was scared to death. Now, why did he do it? Well, I don't know. Maybe this lion was stealing all the sheep that Benaiah owned. And in that day and age, they don't have 401ks for retirement. That was his retirement, his, his flock. So maybe there was a threat financially. Maybe Benaiah's wife said to him, the grandkids are really small. They're three, four, five, six years old. Benaiah, you need to take this lion out. The lion's too close to our house. Take the lion out because there's a threat to our I, I don't know. But I, I am pretty sure that Benaiah was trembling when he jumped into that pit and tried to kill that amazing lion. And so I, I, I don't see people of faith having just this maverick, cavalier approach to life. I see people of faith still very frightened, still very scared, but you're almost scared not to do it. You're almost more frightened not to be faithful, not to be obedient, because you know God's up to something. I think there's a third reason, too, that, that maybe our faith doesn't grow quite as quickly as it, as it should. You've got to follow me on this one. You see, we probably spend most of our prayers trying to get God to do something for us. We, we probably spend, if you would tomorrow morning, write your normal prayers out and, and see if you're not kind of like trying to get God to tell him what to do and tell him when to do it and telling, telling God how to do it. See if most of your prayers aren't trying to kind of, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but you're trying to get God to do something for you. That's not what the early Christians did. We don't find that example in the Bible. Now, I still pray for my kids' safety. I worry about my kids. I still pray for them to be blessed. I still pray for our marriage. I, I still do all that. But, but when you see how the prayers were in the New Testament, you see it's a little different than bless me, help me, give me. On the day of Pentecost, it's the best example I can come up with. It's Pentecost. Amazing happened. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. These guys spoke in um, the native languages of Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Asia, Phrygia, Rome. All these Jewish people from all over the world were at Pentecost. Now, God could not have done this any better. This was amazing because all these people from all over the known world came in. They heard Peter preach, and 3,000 people got baptized that day. 
That day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. And then they go back into their native lands and start teaching the scriptures. What a brilliant idea. Now, just before this, Jesus was on the earth for 40 days. Jesus died, rose from the dead, and for 40 days he made convincing proof, appearances, that he was alive. And, And just before he left, he said to them, don't go out into all the world until the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power, and then you will be my witnesses all over the world. This is brilliant. So, 120 people are in an upper room just seeking God. They weren't saying, boy, wouldn't today be a great day for me to speak in tongues? Boy, wouldn't today be a great day for 3,000 people to be baptized? Boy, wouldn't today be... You know what they were doing? They were praying and fasting, fasting and praying, praying and fasting. Here's my whole point. What if, instead of you spending so much energy, spiritual capital, trying to get God in on your stuff... If you would just seek him, because if you start seeking him, Pentecost is going to happen in your life. And what they were doing is they were seeking God. Praise you, Father. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us open doors. Give us opportunities. And they were just seeking the Father. I think that would bolster your faith. I know that's been working for me on the last couple of years. I still pray for my kids' safety. Still pray for good health, but I'm trying to spend more energy spiritually seeking the Father, and then the Father shows up. The Father just puts his amazing hand upon us. All right, I want this to be as practical as possible. How does faith really work? How does it really work? I want to give you five ways that I think it works. Again, if you're a note taker and you want to write these down for your notes, great. The first thing that happens is is God initiates. That's how you became a Christian. That's how you got baptized. That's how you bought that neighbor kid a bicycle. Neighborhood kid got his bike stolen. God, God, God initiated. God took the initiative. Yeah, somebody was praying for you. A grandma was praying for you. Somebody was doing, but, but God, first of all, here's how faith works. It's God. He takes the initiative. Second thing that he does then is he stirs it up. God stirs up something within you. Again, if you're going to become a Christian or whatever the, the situation is that God's doing, he starts stirring it up within you. And, and, and you're not all knotted up. But your stomach's kind of turning over because you know something's going on. And it wasn't the Mexican meal that you had last night. You know it's God. God's doing something inside of you. I'm going to explain this in even more detail in just a minute. Number three is at this point that I have to make a choice. Because God has initiated. And I know something's going on inside of my human spirit. My human spirit is interacting with the Holy Spirit. And it's at this point I have to decide whether or not it's up to God. I have to make a choice whether or not. I may be scared to death. There may be a giant lion in a pit on a snowy day. Or it may be something small. But I have to make a choice whether or not I'm going to trust him. So number four then is I make a decision. I make a decision that I'm going to act upon that. And so I, I act. I make the decision and I act upon it, and then God, number five, 
he brings confirmation. God confirms it. God confirms it that he was in it. This is how it works. It works like this. The first time that God initiates in your life, it's usually pretty small. And it is a baby step. And God initiates. He stirs something up. I take a little step. I trust him. I do it. And then I, I see that, whew, you know what? I feel good about this. God was actually in this. And then the next time, it's a little bigger step. He stirs it up. I got to make a decision. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to act upon it. Wow, I feel great about this. And then it's a little bigger step. And those steps just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They don't get smaller in my life. They get smaller in your life. They don't get smaller. Those steps get bigger and bigger and bigger. So let me be real specific. If it's salvation, what God's going to do is he's going to stir it up within you because everybody spends eternity somewhere. And everybody has to decide, do I want to go to heaven? Do I want to go to hell? And if it's salvation, he, he's going to stir it up. I've got I to make a choice that I'm going to trust Jesus to be my Savior. And I make a decision. I make a profession of faith publicly or with a pastor or with a prayer partner. I, I do something. I make a profession of faith. I act upon it. And then the next week I'm going, I've never connected with you, Father, quite like this before. I've never had your Holy Spirit inside of me like this before. You're like kind of like the grand chess master moving me from here to here. And even though I see through the peephole, I have amazing peace. If it's Christian baptism, if you've never been baptized by immersion, he's going to stir that up. When you're watching that video and all those people be baptized, and you're like cold stone, no emotion, you're not ready to be baptized. You're not. God hadn't stirred it up within you yet. But if it's emotional and you're stirring it up within you, this after, you know, today, come this afternoon. I make a choice. I make a decision. No one's ever gotten baptized and come out of the baptistry waters of the pool over here or a swimming pool or the Gulf of Mexico and say, wish I hadn't have done that. Gosh. Look at all the dead fish floating around me. I killed all these fish. Wish I hadn't have done that. Nobody's ever said that. Everybody's going, man, why did I wait so long? Gosh, I feel so good. I feel like a 1,000 pounds have been lifted from me. Everybody says that. What if it's about forgiveness? There's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. And God's going to stir that up, baby. Stir that up. And you have a choice because he's asking you, and you've got to make a decision. And when you forgive somebody, oh, why did I carry this? Maybe there's some bitterness, a root of bitterness going on deep down inside of you. And you're going, why, why, why? What's God? I don't want to forgive. Yeah, yeah. And you get rid of that bitterness. What if it's a morality issue? You know you're doing something against God's scriptures. You know you're living in some, some way that's not right. And God's just going to stir that up. Now, you can try to ignore that. You can try to shove that baby down. But it's going to keep popping up like a bobber. It's going to keep coming up. So he stirs it up, and you make a choice. You know, it's a morality issue. Maybe it's a, a business decision. And you're in business, and you're working. 
and God stirs something up for you, I never will forget. Everybody thought I was crazy at 17 to quit UPS. Crazy. And yet I just had a real peace that I could go into business for myself at 17 years of age. In, in business, does God care about business? Of course he does. Well, what about in your marriage? What about, are, are, are you bucked up and bowed up and all full of pride and there's a spirit of separation between him and you, you and him? Well, I mean, what, what are you going to do? The Spirit of God is going to stir that up until you lay it down. Until you lay it down. What about being a servant? What about being a giver? What, what about being humble? What about understanding the course and direction of your life? Oh, your heavenly Father loves you so much. He's going to stretch your faith. And you may still be frightened. That's not the point. I think Benaiah was scared to death to jump into a snowy pit and kill a lion. I think he was scared to death. He didn't know if he's going to win or lose, die, get killed, or be paralyzed. But he jumped. He jumped. I, I think that most of us kind of think, I mean, killing a lion in a pit on a snowy day is a big event. I, I, I don't want you to leave today thinking that you've got to have a big event every day. I, I kind of think the lion and the Moab that he killed, I, I think maybe those come every five or seven years or maybe every 10 or 15 years. So I, I, I'm not suggesting that you go out and just go hog wild and go crazy every, every day of your life. I, I want to give you this illustration because I think this is how the Heavenly Father works more consistently, at least, at least in my life. This was about a year ago, and I was out early, had an early morning uh, appointment, and I found a little breakfast place that I could go real early in the morning, and nobody else was in there except the proprietor and I think two waitresses and me. And I, I got some scrambled eggs and some whole wheat toast and grits. I love grits. I'm in Memphis for 16 years. I love, love grits. So I'm eat, eating the grits. And my breakfast was $3.99, okay? Big, big breakfast, right? Big breakfast. And um, so I thought, you know, she, she was good. Filled my water about six times or whatever, you know. And, and so I... I uh, I left like, you know, the four bucks, another 250 for the tip. As I'm walking to the door, God's Spirit was stirring something within me. Give her 20 bucks. I'm going, 20 bucks, God? For a couple of eggs and a piece of toast? It's not about the eggs, it's not about the toast. So I'm, I'm walking toward the door. I am resisting what God's told me to do. At least I'm, I'm arguing, that can't be God. You know, that's too big a tip. God wouldn't do that, right? Anybody else ever done that in the room? So I, I'm walking to the door, and I turn around, and I said, I, I, want, I just want to give this to you. And she bursts out crying. And she says, oh, I needed this for my... And she told me what her need was for her eight-month-old baby. I didn't tell her I was from Harborside. I didn't tell her I was a preacher. I didn't say come to church. All I said was, your heavenly father is crazy about you. And he saw fit to use me this morning to bless you. And I mean, like, we're having a kumbaya moment right there in the restaurant. You know, we're hugging and, 
And, I, and I've never seen her since, and I haven't really been back but one time that even that same restaurant. You see, I, I, I think those big steps of faith, those big lion's pits come every so often. But I think today, I think tomorrow, I think the next day, every day of our life, God just wants to initiate. He just wants to stir it up. I got to make a choice. I'm in, I'm out. I'm in, I'm out. Can you use me or not? Can you use my hands? Can you use my wallet? Can you use my time? I'm in or I'm out. And what I've observed is the more I submit to that, the more he wants to use me and use you. And then that confirmation, just that that hand of God, just that hand of God all, all over you. So I want to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And I want to ask us to stand up at this time. And I just want to I just want to encourage you today. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I, I want to encourage you to do that. If you've never been baptized by immersion, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith, go out to the guest service desk and sign up. If there's a, a forgiveness issue, a morality issue, a, a, a time issue, a selfish issue, a bitterness issue, I just want you to get it out today. I don't want any of us to leave today without the faith of Abel or the faith of Enoch, or the faith of Noah. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you today. We want to honor you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.